My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Just don't be yourself. Not exactly the most encouraging advice, right? Yet, it is at the heart of a lot of common dating advice. Today, we're going to hear from a pickup artist. Yes, you heard me right, but don't turn the episode off yet. I promise we are not going to shame anyone. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and today we are going to explore some of the worst dating advice some people have ever heard, plus wonderful alternatives. We'll also talk about the pickup artist industry incels, and more thanks to two expert guests. One is a PUA himself, and the other is a sexual intuitive I adore who you have heard from here before. First, a big shout out to today's sponsor, Preventiza. The makers of Vagisil have launched Preventiza. It's an emergency contraceptive for the prevention of pregnancy. Vagisil has this new initiative, the Preventiza Emergency Contraceptive We Are One in Two campaign to showcase solidarity around women's reproductive rights, which is so awesome. Nearly half of pregnancies remain unintended, and Preventiza is a one-tablet solution that can be taken within 72 hours or three days of unprotected sex. While Preventiza works mainly by stopping the release of an egg from the ovary, it may also work by preventing fertilization of an egg or preventing attachment implantation in the uterus. I'll share more about this in an upcoming blog post, so stay tuned at augustmclaughlin.com, where you can also sign up for occasional Girl Boner extras, find links to my books, other resources, and a whole lot more. I'm going to be honest, I almost didn't reply to today's first guest when he emailed me because pickup artistry, quite frankly, gives me the heebie-jeebies, but he seemed respectful and mentioned offering a different perspective, so I decided to give him a chance. I'm glad I did because he turned out to be a cool person and not even a little creepy. I even told him that when he sat down. He had a great sense of humor about it. And I just said, hey, thank you for being here, Drew Schroeder. How are you? Outstanding. I'm so glad that you actually responded. I didn't think that you were going to respond either (laughs) once I found out how, uh, you know, you're like, oh, I don't really talk to pickup artists and they have bad connotations to them. I'm like, yeah, I totally get it, you know, because the way that men speak sometimes. Yeah, it can be a bit demeaning. And and what I've heard has been, you know, pretty almost misogynist. Some of it is some very, there's a lot of discrimination and sort of weird tactics. I'm really curious how you got into this work. I know that your personal journey led into it quite a bit back in Detroit. Tell us a little bit about how you got to this place. I was a complete geek in school where I would only play MMORPG games specifically RuneScape and I only had one friend in high school and he was the popular kid and whenever we would walk around school together people would be like hey man what's up and then I would say like who who was that and he'd be like oh I don't know but everyone knew who he was and um 
and I just couldn't get a date. I never really kissed a girl. I I didn't get my first girlfriend until I was 17, which is kind of late, but it's early for a lot of my clients now. So you went from that to, I know you moved to Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Had you already started to pick up some skills or what was the turning point for you? When I first like turned the switch, I, uh, well, ironically as it sounds, I was actually watching TV, you know, and I stumbled across this TV show, VH1, The Pickup Artist, and I started watching it. I'm like, I heard one of the main guys in there saying, I can't believe it. You can actually, it was a reality show. He was saying, I can't believe it. You can actually learn how to pick up women. And I'm like, wait, really? And then I started watching the show more and I just fell in love with it. And I watched it every week that it came out. So I had to check this TV show out. As Drew said, The Pickup Artist was a reality show on VH1, which aired for two seasons. It was hosted by pickup artist who goes by the name Mystery and his wings, J-Dog and James Matador, with Tara Ferguson replacing J-Dog in season two. Mystery, a certified love guru, helped guys who just continued to strike out in the love department. The show had two seasons and basically taught male viewers how to play, quote, the game. According to a New York Times article, Mystery, quote, tutored stutterers and virgins on the art of getting lucky. Here's how it opened. Eight ordinary men. Each has conquered some of the most difficult challenges of manhood. Puberty. Driving. Shaving. But with all their masculine successes, there's one thing they haven't been able to figure out. I've been afraid of women for a long time. I don't know what to do when I'm talking to to women. In the first episode, someone who feels self-conscious about his small penis says, does size really matter? One describes himself as a 40-year-old version, and another says people tend to assume he's gay. They all seem like nice guys. And the answer to their conundrums? Mystery, who is considered by some the most successful pickup artist, and who once considered himself the ultimate geek. He now sort of looks like the Cat in the Hat character from Dr. Seuss, the goth version. Once Drew Schroeder saw the show... That one thing led to another. I read the game, and then I built a large social circle in the Detroit area when I was of age. I was 18 to 21. I'd go out seven nights a week uh, learning how to attract women and uh, dating a few. And then my friend said, hey, let's move to Las Vegas. And I'm like, yeah, let's do that. So we got all of our stuff. With no money in our pockets, we moved to Las Vegas, slept on the ground for nine months, and then I started, I was going out every night, became a club promoter, and uh, became a lot more successful in love and relationships after that. So you mentioned the game. I'm trying to remember. I'm sure you've read it. Which book that is. It's by Neil Strauss. No. Um, But I have heard some of the messages from some of these books, and I don't know if it's this one. Could you tell me what some of the ideas were? Um, I I can think of a few rules that I've heard or that people used on me where it was like you cut the person down a little bit. To- oh, yeah. I think you're talking about negging Okay. where you give a negative compliment, which is <laughs> – which is questionable advice to me. I mean, yeah, like 
the way that the book explains negging is just not clear enough for a lot of people because a lot of people, they're very, uh, people that get into pickup, they're very logical people and they don't get the concept of joking around and giving a negative compliment to someone is like, um, telling someone you have really nice nails. Are they real? So it's just kind of like a lot of people when they, uh, give that line back when when they go around saying that it just comes across as an insult but it is an insult right it's basically a backhanded compliment and drew agrees so i asked him why someone would want to do that you know what uh that that was in the book it's not something i would ever teach now because there's a lot better ways like if when i meet someone from arizona i'll be like no way i love arizona iced tea it's like it's not it, it's just quirky and cheesy a little bit and it gets people to laugh and uh it, it's just like it it's supposed to make you stand out more but the way that negs are portrayed is that it's supposed to like give a compliment but still like apparently it's supposed to make you feel more dominant a little bit more than the person, mm-hmm. so it's supposed yeah, so it's to, like a control thing. It's a little bit like you want the person to look up to you, or like they need you, or something. Yeah, their theory behind it is, and I'm not saying like scientific theory. I mean like their what they think right. was supposed to do was supposed to like knock them down a few pegs, or make you look better than them, so that way they see value in your eyes. Drew said it doesn't work that well, and I'm glad it doesn't because pushing people down to make yourself seem more valuable isn't kind or respectful or sensible from a logical standpoint. If you want to spend time with somebody, if you care about them as a human being and vice versa, you want them to care about you, which seems to be at the heart of Drew's philosophies. He's written a short ebook on seduction secrets. I asked him about what he calls the spray and pray approach, which he compared to another approach he feels is better, befriending staff at lounges and bars. When when guys are going out, they're just being wallflowers. And what they do is when they first get into pickup, they do the spray and pray approach where they just they talk to everybody mm. and just hope that something sticks and like some maybe something happens maybe something doesn't and it doesn't really get anywhere when the befriending your staff would be like building friendship with the people that work at the venue and then they can really hook you up with stuff and you know you become friends with them and you know you're like more in the crowd and they also would know a little bit about you so they might introduce you to someone who has like common interests or yeah yeah of course yeah so like bartenders have introduced me to people just because they know who I am they know my type of person that I like or they know like what I have going on and how I can how they can benefit me and how I can benefit them it's basically networking he said only in a social atmosphere where there are lots of people this made me wonder about the wallflowers drew had mentioned and if his work in pickup tends to attract people with backgrounds similar to his own feeling less accepted or confident that they would like people who want to learn about ways to come into their own that can be the case he said but he thinks most people can learn in this area it's it's never really natural to just go out of your way to approach people it's it's always practice uh, the people that I'm working with now, it's they have to 
Like I, I really have to sit down with them and be like, and stop them from feeling overwhelmed because people that are so introverted, they, they just they stay inside. They don't go out. So when they go to a nightclub or they go to a bar, they're just like all of these lights, this loud music. Everyone's bumping into me. You know, everyone's like touching me. I'm mm-hmm. not used to being touched. And that's how they feel. So I have to like break them out of it. And is that something you recommend is going to these kinds of places or first? So for an introvert who doesn't like to go to clubs, for example, would you recommend that person learn how to feel more comfortable in that scenario? Or would it be better for them to go to coffee shops or libraries or places where they aren't going to be so loud and crazy? Depends what they want. But at the end of the day, I try and get them into the club because, you know, that's you have to really desensitize yourself when you're so like stuck like hung up on playing MMORPG games, you know, or cuz or, or or just coding all day cuz a lot of guys that get into pickup they're into IT. So, when they're just stuck at home, they have to like really break out of it and I feel like desensitizing yourself and putting yourself in a very uncomfortable place long enough, you're going to get used to it. Like sooner or later. Drew said that many of the guys he works with ends up falling in love with that scene. So if you wish you enjoyed the club scene more, that might be a good way to make that happen too. I wanted to ask Drew about another philosophy in his book for a reason completely unrelated to dating. It's called the propinquity effect. Those of you who know me personally know I love the word propinquity for nostalgic reasons. It means nearness in place or time and in the dating sphere. Okay, so... The propinquity effect is when you meet people in your surroundings. Like, that's just it, you know? Like, if you want to meet a type of person, you go to that type of surrounding. You you go to that type of area. So, if you want to hang around with movie stars, you move to Hollywood. If you want to... If you want to meet, uh, like, really fit women, then you go and you hang around, you, you go to the gym and you go to the like yoga studio or you go take a hip-hop class, and that itself, it can really be beneficial. Beyond its name, I like this approach because being true to ourselves and pursuing our hobbies or passions or curiosities is some of my favorite advice for so many challenges and goals and concerns. Dating possibilities can evolve as a byproduct of living well, right? Or as Drew put it, like attracts like. I also asked Drew how his work has influenced his own life and how it's changed him personally. I I feel like I definitely gained a lot of confidence in myself because when I first started, I I was very uh, self-conscious about everything. I would stare at myself in the mirror and I would just pick out everything that I thought was wrong with me. Like my eyebrows are too big, my teeth are jacked up. And, you know, you know, at the time I couldn't grow a beard, you know, small things like that but when I started dating people like I know it's not about um like finding the perfect person my first say my first kiss right I thought that my teeth were all jacked up and no one would want to kiss me but my first kiss before I kissed her um she said that my like one of my teeth is like jacked up and she's and I told her that and she said no I kind of like it it reminds me of a fox and I'm like oh really so you're saying I'm foxy and then after that every day forward it was just it was I'm I was okay with it you know Mm -hmm. 
Now I'm so pleased to welcome Susanna Brisk back to the show. She's a sexual intuitive who coaches clients to uncover what they like, what they need, and how to get it. She's a gifted public speaker, author, workshop leader, and broadcaster with a brand new podcast of her own. In February, she joined me here to explore what it means to be a sexual intuitive and her wonderful book, How to Get Laid Using Your Intuition. You also helped me identify some things about myself, Susanna. Do you remember that I'm more chocolate swirl? That's exciting. Yes, yeah. I'm always trying to tell you how kinky you are. <laughs> you are, too. Yes, yes. You're you're convincing me. You really are. I see the kink meter. I see where it can go at 100. <laughs> and then if people choose to pursue that or not, yeah. obviously is not something that I have any control over. But I can show you, like, you know, here's some other places you could take it. Can you tell in general from a person? Does everyone have that meter and you just feel it? I think for me, some people are harder to read than others. But generally, because people have been telling me their sexual secrets since I was about 15, I have something that maybe gave me context when I look at people where they, if their energy reminds me of someone else's energy, then that's one way sometimes that I can kind of tap in. But uh, again, you can only uh, show people the possibilities and make it all okay for them, and then they'll go on their merry way. Sure. Or even as you did with me, I think you were identifying some of the things that I make very known. You were like, that's kinky. Yeah. You know, you love being plugged into medical equipment. Yeah. You get get off on that. That's kinky. You know, it's just challenging kind of the status quo of how we define that and saying, kink is not all about whips and chains and blindfolds. Totally. It's completely about the energy and not about the gear. Because if you give somebody a spanking, but there's no, for example, uh, but there's no power dynamic. (laughs) (laughs) She just gave me this look like homework. And I put my, I don't put my hand up like I was offering. (laughs) So yes, hypothetically, if one gives another one a spanking, um, if there's no delineated power exchange, if there's no structure, then you're just swatting at someone's ass. There's no uh, kind of connection into the thing you're trying to get. And the thing you're trying to get is the part of you that can only be expressed in this way by being spanked or by spanking someone. So those are those are the kinds of things that I think are more important is the energy that's that's happening. I love that about you, your approach is all about energy, which really sexuality, that's what it centers on. And you were the first person I thought of when I was looking into this topic of pickup artists, which got me into the world of incels. And there's so much dark, scary information. And I started to feel like I was going down this rabbit hole. And I thought, who can I talk to who brings light to these issues in really non-judgmental and also empowering ways that don't stereotype people by gender, which your book does so beautifully as well. So I'd love to talk to you a little bit about some of these kind of dating rules and these populations, starting with something that I talked to Drew about a little bit, this concept of nigging, where you give someone a negative, quote, compliment, you put them down a little bit. Where does that come from and why is that a thing? It's interesting because I once wrote a thing that said uh, the worst piece of dating advice you'll ever get and it was negging because it's just 
really the most counterproductive thing that you can do, especially to someone who's been socialized female, because someone who's been socialized female has a much better chance of having been either shamed for their sexuality or told that it can only be this or it has to be within a certain box. Uh, Whatever it is, they're much more likely to have uh, accumulated some kind of nonsense already. And here you are basically tapping into that instead of saying, giving them permission to actually unfurl the inner fuck monster. So why would you do that? Why would you put, make it more difficult for them to relax, make it more difficult for them to feel safe? Why would you want to make somebody have that moment of anxiety? It's, it's the wrong kind of game, I think. I think like games are great. You know, BDSM is all about games, but it has to be done in a way that makes the person feel like they can be their full slutty self or, or whatever that is, whatever their self is, if it's if uh, not necessarily if their identity is like a rampant slut or whatever, if they want to be a good girl or if whatever they want to be, if you're already telling them that who they are is not good enough, you're never going to get to that end. So it really makes no sense. I don't know who, whose I, I have an idea whose idea it was, the one with the purple nail polish and the fluffy black hat. Mystery. Yes, actually, we talked about him earlier in the episode. Yeah, so he had that TV show about pickup artistry. Yeah, and I don't think it actually does work toward any of the goals. Like, like what you were saying, it's it's not games being a mutually beneficial, consensual thing is very different. And that kind of idea came up in some of the dating advice I pulled listeners for their worst dating advice they'd heard, the dating advice they'd made. And I'm going to ask you about those to end on a bit of a lighter note. But first, I'd like to get a little dark. Let's go dark. I'm not afraid. I've come to think that, you know, the light and the darkness is basically the same thing because it's all part of the same thing, right? So yin and yang, there's a little bit of light in the dark and a little bit of dark in the light. And so we can't just pretend it's not there because there's nothing sadder and scarier to me than walking around in denial, pretending that everything's fine. You know, there are some dark forces in the world. Absolutely. And we can attract and create more light when we understand these influences. And hopefully we can help people. I feel like we've been hearing in the media more about these incels and I think it can feel for a good reason a bit intimidating or I don't even want to read that and I thought we could explore it a bit in a way that might be helpful for people so for anyone who's not really clear on what an incel is it's a it's a portmanteau of involuntary and celibate so people who consider themselves celibate against their own desire. It's an online subculture of people who identify themselves as unable to find a romantic or sexual partner despite desiring one. Most of these people are white, cisgender, straight guys, and the forums tend to show a lot of resentment, hatred, self-pity, self-loathing, misogyny, racism, and a sense of entitlement to sex. And sadly, many endorse sexual violence against sexually active people. And we don't actually know how many there are, but I saw an estimate that some people think it's in the thousands, some people think it's in the tens of thousands, but it's a it's a scary thing, even if it was just a handful of people. And I don't want to overgeneralize, but I feel like one thing I have perceived, somebody asked me, how come these people tend to, they feel wounded by rejected, all these things, why do they lash out, whereas women don't do that 
as much or you know, very, very seldom. And to me, what I see happening more is women are much more likely to internalize and shame themselves. And I wondered what you feel are the forces behind this? Where do incels come from? Well, they come from misogyny and they come from covert misogyny in the sense that whatever statistics you have about how many actual incels there are or people who belong to those groups or identify as such, you have a lot of other people walking around who have these same ideas and they may even have partners and they may even have families. But really underneath, they feel that a woman is uh, a thing that's their thing to use as they see fit, but not in the fun way, not in the fun BDSM way for somebody who wants to be used. And I remember, you know, it's funny you say about women, because I remember reading that story about the woman who crawled down the chimney of her ex-boyfriend's house because she was stalking him. And um then a week later, he, he came back from being on vacation and he started to smell something and she died in this chimney. So I don't think that the feelings don't exist. And I guess when I work with people who I feel like are tending towards starting to get into that kind of warped idea, that self-righteousness, why won't this bitch fuck me kind of thing, I do believe that there's a point where if you meet that with compassion, if you meet that with understanding, if you actually hold space for the fact that, yes, it's incredibly frustrating not to get your needs met year after year after year, to be treated um, in a cavalier way, which we know from the dating culture right now, it's not a fantastically easy time to date. You know, at the beginning when all of the apps came out, it was yay, cock shopping. You know, it was so uh, much more, uh, much simpler. And now it's just you know, people are getting, the women get inundated. I mean, there's just a lot at play. And culturally, it's become a lot more acceptable to just ghost people. So I think that that's part of the the issue, is that if you're afraid to have a difficult conversation with somebody, and obviously not somebody who's abusing you or stalking you or demanding some kind of conversation or sex act they think they're entitled to, but just on a general human level, to actually take the time to have a conversation with somebody and say, look, this is where I'm at. It's really not personal. And I wish you the best kind of thing, as opposed to just, oh, right in the middle of an interaction, and then they're gone. I mean, what do you think that's going to do to people over time if they're already sensitive, if they already have been fed some version of a toxic idea of sexuality, whether they're, you know, let's say in this case, what they refer to as toxic masculinity, and they already have a low self-worth, they already think they're not man enough or um, too emo or whatever they've been told, and then you add this, it becomes a perfect storm of hatred and violence. But I do believe, again, if you get to the, to the, I don't condone, of course, any kind of violent action. I don't condone misogyny. But I do understand what it's like to feel sexually frustrated. Sure. And I think a lot of these people, too, it seems, were bullied themselves. Yes. Dealt with a lot of insecurity. They, yes. they have all these other feelings that come up. And 
And again, we're not excusing the behavior when we say that. It's just that if you can't approach people with a level of understanding as to how they got to that extreme point, then you don't have a shot at making sure that other people don't get to that point of being desperate enough. Because how do we help someone if we don't know? Because I do think these people need help. I don't think... Again, that it condones any of the behavior, certainly not not violence or harassment or anything. But what we all want, I think, is a is a more welcoming society where people are happier and connection. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This also made me think of the Stanford prison experiment. Yes. You know, where people were put in prison as an experiment to see how they would react. And there's something about that sort of, I don't know, gang mob mentality. Totally. So I wonder if somebody has some of these feelings that they're feeling maybe bitter or resentful because they've been turned down time and again or bullied for their appearance or for their social awkwardness or what, what have you. And then they find this community. Do you feel like there's this sort of this group mentality where everyone, oh, I have purpose, I have a I have a family here. Right, and it also might, unfortunately, ratify some of your worst instincts. Um, but I believe that there are people that I've worked with who might have gone that way if they continued to have, you know, a dry spell lasting one year or five years or 10 years or 20 years. Yeah. But I do believe that my belief is, unless, of course, you're asexual, in which case, you know, have at it, or demisexual, where you're like, you know what, I can have sex once every 10 years, and that's good for me. Well, good, then we don't have a problem. But if you can, I do believe that any dry spell can be broken. I believe that there is someone for everyone. And more than that, I believe that if you teach people how to meet their needs sexually and emotionally, then it's not as much of a desperate grab to try to get it from outside. I mean, people, of course, want touch, for example. That's something that's uh, difficult um, to give to yourself. I mean, there are still ways to do that. I actually have uh, a whole chapter on how to meet your own needs in the book. Um, But you could go to cuddle parties is an example, or you can get massage. But if you start to think in these ways in terms of let me see and really be with myself and have a look at what's in there as opposed to, oh, I want to get my dick wet and if I haven't, then it's her fault, you know, then we can bring a little gray to this discussion as opposed to black and white. Which is really important, I think. And I wonder, too, because we're taught that masculinity is aggressive and that sex is something that you're entitled to as a guy uh, and that you're supposed to be with a woman, all of these different things. I I feel like, to your point about having pent-up sexual needs that aren't met, that women are more likely to kind of act out in other ways. Right. So there are probably a lot of women who also may even be disconnected from realizing that they aren't connected, yes, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I feel like that's one reason that we're much more prone to depression and anxiety and and stress and insomnia and on yeah. and on and on. Yeah, it's true. And I think one of the things that really plagues uh, men in this area, certainly what I see in men I coach, is this idea that all men have to be this very dominant, you know, dicks always hard, take charge, I always know what I'm doing. I always know what to do. Well, what if you're 23 years old and you've never had a P&V sexual experience? And then you got to go on a date and now you have to pretend 
that you're someone that you're not. And in your heart, you're ashamed that you're not as dominant as you've been taught you have to be. It's like that's a very painful place to be in. So I think the beginning is to accept where you are. That's what I would work with someone on is, okay, well, what are the parts of you that do feel more dominant? And what are the parts of you that feel like you want to submit to a powerful woman? Maybe the kind of woman you should be looking at is a woman over 40 who's an alpha, who would love to be able to call a young, beautiful boy and say, you know, I'm meeting you here, we go here, you take me here, you bring me here, now we go home and you do this to me. And it doesn't, again, like you said, it's not about like whips and chains and like crack out the handcuffs. It's about that energy that you can find that matches yours, as opposed to thinking that you have to contort yourself into a pretzel to match what you think is the the energy that is uh, the right one, the, the male one, the masculine one. That's one of the big benefits, I think, of dating apps is that you can be pretty specific. Yeah. You can specifically go to... You can change your settings. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, which is so much easier for a lot of people than meeting people in person and then bringing it up by the way, especially yeah. if you're looking to be more submissive with someone. Yeah. It may not feel natural to be the person to bring that up. Most definitely. If, you feel, if you're not somebody who feels comfortable taking charge, then uh, you match with somebody and now it's on you because you, what, because you have the penis. You have to be the one who's like, you know, trying to guess at what this person that you've seen a photo of and, you know, a few lines about walking in the summer rain or whatever it is. And now you have to guess at what is the perfect thing you're going to say to her that's going to land her in bed. That's a fair amount of pressure yeah, to carry around. So I think part of it is like what, what I said before about the spanking is to be more aware of where the dominant and submissive interplay in your life. Where is it appropriate to surrender? Where are you unable to surrender? Where are you able to be more take charge, to risk yourself a little bit, to put yourself out there a little bit, to flirt even when you're afraid to flirt with someone or to understand that flirting is just like, I see you. That's really all it is. It's not about an end game. It's not about, oh, now, mm. you know, now we're definitely going to go home together. It's just like, I see you and you see me and this thing I call fuck energy in my book. It's like, okay, I see your fuck energy. I, I raise you my fuck energy and have a nice day. Enjoy your coffee. Okay, that's the best definition of flirting ever. Because <laughs> usually flirting for me has a, a, a game in a negative way. Yes, connotation. I think for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strategy. Yeah. I'm going to get you. Right. Totally. And to me, it's all just, all, it's all energy. It's just ener- like we're just, fl- you know, there's it's all flying around anyway. So, but you can understand how for somebody who's not in comfortable with their sensual self and their sexuality is, you know, maybe a little bit of a secret in the sense that it's like in that dark corner of the internet with that specific kind of porn that always gets them off then how do you bring that into your real life and just kind of exist in that, you know, I call it the fuck zone, 
where and the fuck zone doesn't mean that you're walking around thinking oh my god I'm so hot everybody's gonna fuck me Um, everybody finds me attractive it's that you find everyone sexy you find life sexy you find leaves sexy you find uh, Brussels sprouts Brussels sprouts yes (laughs) talked about that that's right I know I know that's your thing there's probably a FetLife group for that I should I should look into that or start one very good idea but it always FetLife with um, I don't know if your listeners know what FetLife is but it's considered the kinky Facebook and uh, what always makes me laugh and it's fantastic that it exists obviously because people learn and they can join communities and they can um, start to really get to the bottom of what some of these things are and understand that a kink is is a wonderful thing to have and a, and a fetish it's it's a it's a shortcut to getting to a part of you that like I said you can't get to in any other way but they're always like super specific groups it's like you know, submissive, pansexual, you know, queers who enjoy Brussels sprouts, but it has to be like on a Tuesday. <laughs> you know, it's like super, super specific. And um, and then you find like, you know, 10 other people like that. And now you're in business. You know? That's beautiful. Yeah. That's the internet, really the power of the internet. Seriously. Do you think that incels are looking for sex or connection because... They could masturbate, right? Right. So is it more about possession, you know, having this this societal idea of having a woman? Or is it the actual sexual release? Because that seems very simple to address for a lot of us. Right. Um, I think it's very complicated and very specific to the individual. Um, there was a, a client that I... Uh, worked with who hadn't he had had like a dry spell for like a year and within a five week probably period he had three different girls that he was having sex with and I was like here you know we did it like this is really good right and then his complaint was why aren't the girls hotter that he's having sex with so I mean if I you know if I were to to get on a call with somebody and the very first time I talk to them and and the guy's like I really want to get laid and I go you just want connection you know that would be terrible to say to someone you know or to a woman who's just like I, I really just really fucking need to get laid like I really need a dick oh, but you just want emotional connection honey that's all you're really looking for that would for. make me so bad because that's what we're taught because, right? yes yeah. and and also because sometimes it is really just about the dick but yeah. but then it's like understanding having a little bit more sophistication in understanding your own urges and how much of them how much of them are about connection how much of them about release how much of them are about companionship or uh, a lot of other things that you could be looking from having a partner even for one night like what are you looking what do you want to get out of this because if you're looking for a woman to validate something about you because you need her on your arms so that you feel attractive enough, worthy enough, that you feel younger, you feel whatever it is, raise your status in some way. None of those things have really anything to do with a woman and actually understanding who is this person sitting in front of you and having a genuine curiosity about what makes them tick sexually and otherwise. Yes, that was very, very well said. The energy again. Yeah. And if you encounter somebody and you feel that energy, if someone is coming across to you, if you sense, I feel like so many people, we, we, we tend to talk ourselves out of those instincts. And I yes. know that you are so wonderfully gifted, not only intuitively yourself, but 
encouraging people to connect with that. If you feel that feeling that somebody is doing something, maybe using a quote strategy they found in some pickup artist book or whatever, but you don't know what it is. Right. You just know there's something operating yeah. that doesn't feel authentic to you. And how do you react? And then you say, I feel like you're, something's operating that doesn't feel authentic to me or, you know, whatever the millennial version of that is, which is, uh, Not you seem a little off, brah. You know, whatever, wh- however it is that you get that across. I mean, I'm a big fan of... Uh, you know, the, the stating the elephant in the room. Like, like I, actually being truthful? Absolutely. <laughs> and I think it's very, very sexy when, especially if you have a more, what I would call unconventional sex life, right? So if you have uh, more than one partner or you do things where you share or you have a group sex or whatever it is, it's like if you, the most awful and cringy things are all people like, all fucking in a room together pretending it's normal (laughs) it's like some of what's fun about it is that it's a little bit nasty it's a little bit uh not normal it's a little bit retrograde you know so i like to state those things i think that that's really fun and sexy and and all the awkward bits and all the weird um moments where where someone's standing there going um well i feel like you're really attracted to me right now but i can't really tell or even here's one really creative way to get consent right that again uh, if a the men who say oh i'm struggling in me too i can't even tell if a woman wants to fuck me anymore whatever blah 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 okay we're we're crying big salty tears for you but i get it i mean i do get it too because you know i date women now too and i understand how fraught it is and how terrifying it is and especially because of what i do like i have to be super careful with with my conduct. But at the same time, there are so many creative ways to get consent. And there are so many creative ways to state the unspoken in a way that's really um, make somebody feel comfortable. Even when you look at somebody on a date and you say, I really feel like kissing you right now. Mm. It's like even that, okay, so now you started a conversation because the person can either say, well, then, yeah, you should kiss me or lean in or whatever it is. But to be able to, the most important thing about tapping into your instincts during this whole era, which is, by the way, not that anything different has been happening over all of these years, but that it's been, you know. Cracked open. Right. Mm -hmm. Is to be able to be really aware of verbal and nonverbal cues. And if everybody's more aware of verbal and nonverbal cues, unless they're, you know, an evil sociopath, unless they have, again, that ingrained misogyny because the compassion didn't happen early and they got some kind of a warped idea of like what what a woman is or what a man is, then, you know, it can solve a lot of problems. Yeah. And I think people can learn so much from those conversations if they've never been exposed to someone who's going to be direct and also I really feel for the guys who are learning these strategies because they really don't know how to go about things. And maybe they do something that's really not great. I'm not talking about assault. I'm talking about they flirt in a neggy way. They, they do something that doesn't feel good. And it's not something they would normally do, but they're trying. They're, they're looking for support and they get this bad advice. And if you respond and say, you know, that seems like something that I might have read about in a creepy book. 
it, is that really who you are? I feel like even something like that could change everything. They might go, oh my God, yes, I read this book. I feel so stupid. Now let's be ourselves. Right. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I think you have such an optimistic view of the world, August. I have to. <laughs> it's how I survive, man. I'm always looking for the silver lining because I do think there's more good in the world than bad and, yeah. and more good in people. Hopefully. But I mean, what's also interesting is this big idea that you can just slide into a girl's DMs on social media, which by the way, Instagram's not a dating app. I don't know how to break it to some of you people, but <laughs> that you just slide in and you go, hi, or hey. Hey. And it's just like, okay, let me throw you a 10 pound barbell and now you catch it. And, and now you're obligated to do something with it. Like now yeah. you make conversation because all I can say is hi. Right. They, they, put the responsibility on you, the onus, to be like, now you get to decide what this conversation is. You're like, I didn't know you want to talk. What are you doing? Right. Like, what is, does that have a meaning to it? I got an instant message on Instagram before, and I just said, are you, is this like, are you asking me out? Before anything, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was. And it was had nothing to do, the things he was saying had not, it was all the surface kind of confusing. And I was right. like, what is, like, no. Yeah. I, but I just... I needed to know. I just rather people be direct. Yeah, just be direct. Yeah. And and if if you know if someone on their Facebook status says in a relationship, like don't just don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Especially someone you've never met before. You saw some photo. It's just a strange. strange it's thing. really bizarro. And then that whole thing about flattery, but this kind of very generic flattery of like you're beautiful. Really, my dog's beautiful. It's like it's not, you know, that's not very specific. That really doesn't tell you that the person is actually seeing you. And I think this is one thing that all genders have in common. They want to be seen. People want to be seen. Yeah. They don't want somebody projecting their idea of you onto you. That's not sexy. And you can't really see a person from a photo. I think you perhaps can because you're so intuitive. You see a lot more than a lot of people do. I have an odd uh, ability to be able to do that, yes. Yeah, mm. but most people I think when they're saying, you're so hot, let's go out, and all they did was see a photo, they don't know if you speak English. They right. Don't, you know, they don't know anything. Yeah. If you're looking to date, if you have interests or personality. Right. Or... If your gender and sexuality has anything to do with theirs, if you have any kind of overlapping idea of what you find hot. And it's just like over time, like when I was single and there were dudes would come at me and, um, you know, and it was a very, it was really quite non-consensual because uh, you guys, I, I don't know how to break this to you, just as a dick pic is not consensual because that person didn't ask to see a penis, even as, you know, staggeringly wonderful as I'm sure your penis is, if that person didn't ask to see it, then um, it's non-consensual to try to force them to see it. In the same way, if you start talking in a super... Uh, sexual way with somebody you start engaging on that level before you have any idea if like they've just you know eaten a can of baked beans and now they're burping them up from lunch I mean they don't even have to have any kind of sexual let alone you know triggers and and trauma and reasons why they don't want to talk about sex at this moment it might just be the baked beans from lunch but you don't know that yet because you're already barreling ahead with everything you'd like to do to them and as I say to uh, uh, guys that I've seen and, and coached and experienced who go with this, I go, that's not a good approach. It's just not a good approach. Okay, 
Also, morally, it's problematic, but let's just start from the fact that it doesn't work. So let's find an approach that's better. And now, nowadays, I just will send them a link to the book. I guess it's not a good approach. You might want to read this book. And then, you know, see you later because I don't have time to explain it to you. Yeah, which is excellent advice. I'm glad that you have that book for that reason because I, too, recommend it to people. Oh, I good. think it's great for that. Also, I don't want to make it sound like I'm dismissing uh, people's efforts. And, and, and again, the very, very big difficulty of trying to approach a stranger either at a bar or at Whole Foods or um, on the Internet it's like it's really, really tricky and difficult. And if you don't have a strong sense of self, and if you're already, you know, really beaten down by consistently doing the wrong thing and not knowing what approach would be better, you know, I have a massive amount of compassion for that. Yeah, yeah, which I appreciate very much. I think it's so important. That's how we bridge these gaps and and help everybody. Yeah, we don't do it by judging them. So, you know, I just, I, I felt like I sounded a little judgy then. Oh, I didn't think so. No, I don't think so at all. I think it's really important to to look at all these different... It's just not black and white, like you said. It's very nuanced. Right. But we're not making fun of, you know, we're not making fun of people's attempts at connection because people try to get connection in sometimes very clumsy ways. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a human being under there who just really wants to feel like they have an accurate mirror in the world. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I polled listeners for some dating mistakes they themselves have made and also some of the worst dating advice they have received. Can't wait. I have a list of them. And since I have a lot, I thought, I'll read you one. Just give me your immediate response. Sure. And I'll go right through. Okay. Dating when I was in a very needy place was my mistake. I was attracting all kinds of unhealthy craziness. You know, that's a very complicated, actually, sentence. Yeah. And it sounds a lot more straightforward. But there's this idea that there's a, a, a way to be called needy that's like a bad way to be. Why is being needy a bad thing? Maybe if you're needy, that means that you're just trying to get your needs met. Mm. That's where the word comes from. And maybe if you don't get your needs met over months and years and decades, you are going to get more needy. But there's this idea, I think we get a lot of conflicting messages about, well, you're not supposed to be codependent and you're supposed to be some kind of, you know, warrior going through life by yourself and not need anybody. Well, the healthy thing is interdependence. That's what you're aiming for. You want to need someone and they'll need you. Otherwise, what the hell is the point? Mm. It's like if you can take it or leave it, be single. Interdependence. I love that. And there's nothing wrong with having needs. Yes. Taking care of them is a strength. Yes. But if you're coming from a place of diminished self-worth, then that is usually the time to take the opportunity to go deeper and shore up your sense of self a little bit before you go out there and try to get randos to improve your your you know your self-esteem amen yeah Yeah. filling a void for sure because they won't yes no another mistake defining what a connection ought to be or ought not to be before even meeting someone and being super rigid about it yeah i think that has to do with projection and 
this bugs me to no end, and it's not often talked about, about the way that women have this idea, which I call the, uh, what do I call it, big romance, like big pharma, but it's big romance. Mm -hmm. And we've been sold this whole idea that it has to look one way. So you meet this guy, he comes in on a horse, maybe he doesn't have a horse, maybe he has a Kia. But regardless, he's going to come in and he's going to do everything right. And he's going to be full of gestures. And at this and this time prescribed timeline, you know, so it is written in the in where nowhere, Um, then he's going to take you here. And then eventually there'll be a ring. And then all and none of that has anything to do with reality. So the idea of not having a rigid view of what a connection should be will extend 10 years into a marriage, 20 years into a marriage, because a relationship is two or more people who are always evolving. And it's always a possibility to create something that's more authentic. Ah, more authentic than the the rom-com. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. for sure. Another mistake was allowing myself to overlook outright lies because he was so handsome and such a good kisser, but seriously, the best kisser ever. (laughs) Well, that's the intuitive piece too, is if you have a feeling in your body that says something seems a little off about this person, then you have to be able to close your eyes and feel that and listen to that. Even if he's the hottest guy on earth and he makes your panties into a pudding and he kisses you exactly the way you like, well, take in all the information is what I'm saying. Don't ignore the part of you that says, maybe this won't end so well. Maybe this person is not going to be great for me, in which case I'm not saying immediately disconnect, but perhaps take it several hundred miles slower than you think you should. So there's nothing wrong with getting to know someone, getting to know someone, getting to know someone, and seeing how they behave over time. I believe that's the the antidote to that. Yeah, yeah. Moving slower to move further, really. Yes, and deeper, Mm -hmm. so to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Literally and figuratively. A lot of rollie. What about this one? Believing that behaviors will automatically adjust over time. Yeah, that's again in the in the in the whole big box mark denial. Oh no, he's good. He's really a nice guy. Look look how nice he is to his dog. Okay, but how nice is he to his mom? How nice is he to his sister? How nice is he to the barista? Like if you're paying attention, you'll see those little signs where you're just like, "Hmm, not sure whether this is really a good dude." Um and again, if you give yourself enough time, then you can respond accordingly without making any rash decisions based on that information. Or thinking that you will somehow fix or rescue or change them. Yeah, that's really the denial part. Yeah. I do believe, look, I, I am as much of a romantic. This is the way in which I am most romantic because I do believe that when lonely people find each other and they find a connection that makes them feel for the first time seen, I do believe that they can become very, very, very much improved versions of who they were before. But not if you have like your laundry list of stuff that you're going to change about somebody. You can't come at it from there. So you're not really with the person. No, you're with your idea of them. You're writing a person. Yeah. (laughs) That's totally different. Yeah. Be a writer in that case. There you go. Yeah. There you go. I remember thinking, someday I'll date or marry a writer. And then one day I realized, oh, wait, why don't I just become 
that. Well, that's very, <laughs> very common in the sense that we do look for qualities in other people that we want in ourselves. And then we realize, until we realize, that we can embody all of those qualities ourselves and have more awareness of why we're making the choices that we're making and whether we're actually trying to, like you said, fill the hole from the outside. Yeah, absolutely. Again, not literally. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, we have to make dirty jokes. We do. It's essential. holes are fun. Holes are fun. So here's some of the worst dating advice that people have heard from other people. You need to act more helpless. Boys won't like you if you're too independent. Oh, this one is just fantastic. Honestly, we could do just an hour on this. Uh, This whole idea that's been sold to women that, oh, you're in your male energy right now. That's why you're not attracting men. You, You know, but here's the part of this. Here's the kernel that I believe is true. If your energy, whether you're male or female, but let's say in this case, if you identify as female, and your energy is like, no thanks, I got this, then there really isn't much of a place where there's an opening for somebody to feel like they can make a difference in your life. So I think rather than helpless or be in your female, it's like, what the fuck does that even mean? Like be in my, what is that? What is that? Does that, do I have to wear pink and suck lollipops? Like what is, what does that even say? But the vulnerability piece, you know, Brene Braun talks about this a lot. If you don't have a wonderful intimate relationship with your own vulnerability to the extent that you are comfortable showing it to somebody who it's safe to show it to, then you truly, you know, you probably will have trouble in in the dating world because a a guy might see you and be like, well, she, you know, what the fuck, what does she need me for? Yeah. Yeah. There's no space. No space. Yeah. Yeah. But helpless? No. No. No, 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 no. So I'm going to combine two because they're very similar. If the first date is bad, then give them a second chance. When the sex is bad, that it will get better. Well, it's almost like when you buy a pair of shoes, you know, and uh, the first time you put on the shoes, they're not supposed to hurt. But if you're buying leather shoes, if you're buying a good pair of Italian leather shoes, they are going to conform to your feet and stretch out over time. But that shouldn't be that you're walking around the shoe store going, they're fine, they're fine, <laughs> you know, and you're, ha- and you're in pain. You're turning blue. And, yeah. Exactly. So, so I think it's a question of, again, the more that you're paying attention to what's happening in your body, the more you can be like, okay, what do you mean? Like, I would say to that person, what do you mean by bad sex? Like, what do you mean by a bad date? Like, are the parts of it that were difficult for you parts of your growth that you want to work on anyway, in which case, by all means, go on a second date, by all means, have sex with that person again, because you know, or have a sense that that person is actually going to bring that stuff up to be healed. As opposed to thinking you owe somebody a second date, even though you find them repulsive. Yeah, not good advice. Yeah, no. But if you find them repulsive because it's really a part of you that you find repulsive, then at least know that. That doesn't mean that you have to go on a second date with them, but at least be willing to look at that. Why did it bother me so much when he spilt food down the front of his shirt and didn't wipe it off? It's like, well, maybe you need to deal with your controllingness. There you go. 
maybe it's one of your vulnerable areas to grow. Yeah, exactly. But maybe you're not going to process it with this particular person, but don't then just ghost on them, you know, then handle that and be like, you know what, I have this weird thing. And when you, when you, you, maybe you don't go into specifics, obviously it depends on the individual. And if someone makes you feel unsafe, then by all means, block them across all platforms. But if it's just a regular person who's kind of a little bit misguided, why not take an extra minute with this person that you were willing to have sex with before you met with them and say, you know what, there was that thing that, you know, when you spilt food down your shirt and I have this weird aversion to that and it's not you, but, you know, let's let's just leave it here or, or however it is that you put it. And again, then if they beg you for a second date, you you don't have to say yes. You don't have to say yes to anything that doesn't feel good. Mm, really excellent advice. Do you feel like as a culture or in many ways people are feeling like they're rushing to find the right person because it sounds like having another date, that's really not that it's not like years of your life, right? right? It's another date. Why are we afraid to I think, give them another chance? Honestly, I think part of it is that people are horny. And when I try to, when I talk to women sometimes, because there's this whole, you know, prescribed waiting period that I think is just a complete bunch of bullshit. But at the same time, okay, I get that you're horny and you're really attracted to somebody, but I really recommend putting people in different categories, when you're dating. So you have some people that you think, okay, this might be a long-term prospect. And then you think, okay, this person could be like a somebody that I just get my sexual needs met, but other than that, we're friends. And then it might be somebody else that you think, you know, I'd just like to have one encounter with them and kind of leave it there. But be realistic about that. Like if you meet somebody you're super crazy attracted to, and you really think this could be a relationship, then absolutely take a few more dates like just get to know get to know get to know because once you get that oxytocin in the mix it's a lot more difficult to be objective about their other qualities yeah that's a really good point because that oxytocin is bonding right yes yes and it clouds your vision you know why do uh, you know men start go going crazy after they've slept with somebody one time because they're like oh my god I got that I want more I want more I want more and it's like no just take a minute I get that you're horny I get that you're uh, you know feeling like this is now the last person on earth that you're gonna get sex from but that's not the reality there are billions of people on this planet and taking time is not going to you know, ruin anything. This ties so well into our listener question. So we'll go there. And then I have one more dating okay. advice to run by you. You're just too much fun, August. I love talking to you. Likewise. Susanna, you need to come in more often. For yes. Sure. Or we could just go and talk off. Uh, we don't actually need to be talking could, to microphones. Right. Yeah. That's like a shocking <laughs> a thought. Crazy idea. <laughs> we could go really wild. I know. <laughs> like I have know. coffee or something. You guys can't hear a recording of that conversation. <laughs> no. That one's going to be super secret. Can yes. you imagine? This is what we talk about on the air. I know. Exactly. I can only imagine. Maybe we'll talk about things like groceries and really boring things. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I don't know a lot of sex educators who take time talking about uh, groceries. Well, maybe we'll be the first. There are maybe. a lot of fun things you can do with groceries. I'd rather talk about fucking. <laughs> okay. 
Now on to our listener question. This comes from <laughs> Quinn, who wrote this. Is it true that you give part of your heart away to every person you sleep with? I'm feeling explorative, but I know I want to find someone to marry one day. I'm pretty old-fashioned in some ways. Is casual sex risky emotionally like people say it is? No, Quinn, it is not. I think that sex is really special and extraordinary, and it's not something to take lightly. But here is what Dr. Megan Fleming of Great Life, Great Sex had to say. She suggested considering what your own turn-ons are because it can be easy to look to our partner as though they're going to know what turns us on, but we're really not giving ourselves the opportunity. She also pointed out that relaxation is the foundation of arousal, and on your own, that might come easiest. Lastly, it's really important to consider the role of building arousal. And you can explore with your hands, and certainly I would experiment with using lubrication, uh, and then you can decide whether or not you want to explore on your own with some sex toys. Um, anything from vibrators to dildos or G-spot stimulation. You know, I think the more we know about what our turn-ons are, the more then we can communicate that to our partners. So again, when it comes back to, I think at the heart of your question, is casual sex as risky uh, emotionally as many people say it is? This is where I come to, and I'm sure you've often heard me say it, we are all our own expert. And you're your own expert. And so you got to know for yourself, um, you know, what feels right and the right amount of pacing. And, you know, I often say you want to put a toe in the water. You don't want to jump in the deep end. So if there's somebody you're um, attracted to and you're feeling desire and there's an opportunity sort of for a casual encounter hookup, by all means. Um, but again, I would take baby steps in that path because I don't know and you don't know until the next day. And what I always say to any woman I'm working with is um, – if you're enjoying yourself and exploring yourself sexually, fantastic. As long as it's just for that pleasure. If, when, and if you're expecting, hoping, would be really disappointed um, or heartbroken anyway that the person didn't call you or you never saw them again, then I would say, you know what, you might not want to set yourself up for that. And and there's also an endocrine perspective here that, you know, when we have orgasms, it's not just the feel-good, um, like dopamine, it's also oxytocin. And oxytocin as we sort of refer to as like the attachment hormone or the cuddle hormone. So when I think people have experienced that quote unquote, it feels risky emotionally, it's like you might think it's a casual encounter, but in your brain and in your chemistry, you know, we're wiring ourselves that they're, that they're, these hormones are being released that are for attachment. So that's why I'm saying, referring back again to the toe versus the deep end, really take your time and ex explore, play, but it, always ask yourself that question. Would I be okay the next day if I never heard from this person again? Definitely let us know how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I think also women tend to be, because of the way we're socialized, we also can, or at least studies show, that we can feel more shame or guilt around casual sex, not because it was a bad thing, but because we're told that that's a bad thing. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And because we're, we're told that we should feel bad. So then we're going to exaggerate that moment the next day where we're feeling maybe a little insecure or a little awkward or a little like you, we don't know what's going to happen. And now we're going to interpret that as, you know, a bad thing as opposed to just being with whatever's there. But in terms of risking your heart, I would make the analogy of what you do in friendship. You know, when you're in middle school and you have your first friend fuck you over, 
it's like you're going to choose a little bit more carefully the next time. And then hopefully over a lifetime, you know, hopefully by the time that you're 40, you're not going to be so terrified of risking being real with somebody that you're just sitting in your house and you don't have any friends because people are going to fuck you over anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of the same thing with this in the sense that it's not you know, you're not obligated to give your heart to anybody. And it's not any more automatic that you're going to give your heart to somebody just because you fuck them. There's going to be chemicals, there's going to be a sense of attachment. But that's not the same as giving your heart because only you can actually give your heart. It's a decision. It's a decision. And it sounds like this person because of the way that they've been raised, which, you know, obviously is seen a lot when people are raised in religious households, is this idea that, well, when a man loves a woman very, very much. And it's like, yeah, well, how about when, when, when a couple of queers love each other very, very much? And how about, you know, when... Uh, the three non-gender binary people get together and um, maybe they don't love each other at all. Well, two of them do, but one of them really just likes the way one of them spanks. So it's there are just so many more choices now. It doesn't have to conform to this, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a lady and so I'm just, you know, my heart is this little jelly thing that is just automatically going to fly out of my body through my vagina into the other person. It's like that's, that's not how it works. I wonder what age yeah. that person is. Did you say? I don't know the age, yeah, but you're right about the community. It sounded like it was in a area of the country where there's a lot of religious influences yeah. and you you can be religious and not have these ideas too but I do think a lot of people learn that and it's almost a fear tactic that people instill in girls to yes. say you'll give away your heart so don't have sex right you know, when in reality no matter what your gender is no matter what your genitalia you're just as likely to have that sense of attachment hormonally yes and you're just as able to decide or not decide whether you want to give your heart right the one thing that we're not factoring into this conversation that I think is really a very important piece is the studies and the work that's been done on attachment theory. So if you if you guys look up attachment theory, if you haven't run across it already, it's very, very important to know what your attachment style is. So if you're, for example, um, a securely attached person, you're much less likely to fall for somebody after you fuck them one time. That's going to predict much more whether you suddenly become obsessed with them than even how great the sex was or even, um, you know, how you felt about them or your gender. What is a much more accurate predictor of that is what your attachment style is. If you're anxious, preoccupied, if that's your attachment state because of something that happened with your uh, primary caregiver when you were two, that may have been even pre-verbal, even when you were a baby, you formed this attachment style, then you have to know that about yourself. And you have to know, okay, I have a tendency to be, you know, anxious, preoccupied in my style. So I'm going to see things that are not there. I'm going to be a little bit more insecure. I'm going to need a little more reassurance. And try to set up a situation where if you do need reassurance, you at least don't need all of it from them. Mm. Because, you know, uh, expecting somebody to do emotional labor for you is, you know, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. About like, oh, I fucked you and now you have to be my emotional caretaker and make me feel better about it. It's like, well, if you're old enough, if you're an adult enough, if you're grown up enough to, you know, rub your bits together, then hopefully you have a little bit 
more of a sense of how that's going to make you respond based on your attachment style. That self-awareness is so huge because yeah. we can know things about ourselves that we hope to grow through and change, but that doesn't mean that we won't because of our conditioning. Yes, and, yeah. and I'm sorry, because of our conditioning what? That because of our conditioning, we might fall into a pattern that we disagree with rationally. We go, oh no, there's no attachment, but wait, that's all I've ever learned. Yes, and, and the thing that's really encouraging about the research about attachment styles is that you can absolutely change your attachment style over time. And you can become securely attached to a therapist or a coach or a sexual intuitive uh, or a partner, right? So there are people who uh, may have grown up with really severely disrupted attachment through either neglect or even just, uh, you know, divorce or situations where there's just a lot of erratic behavior or people moving around around or again maybe your mom had gas when you were six months old and looked at you in an ambivalent way and now you have ambivalent attachment I mean usually it's formed over more than just one glance but it's like however it formed you can absolutely rewire that and have less painful dating experience less painful relationship experiences less painful friendship experiences because you even can become more attached within yourself and feel less like, oh, here we go, I'm getting abandoned again, you know, all bets are off and the shutdown valve is in full effect or it's a five alarm fire or however your particular body responds to that abandonment fear. Mm, I love that idea that we're, there's a plasticity, there's a we can evolve. We yeah, can it's change. been proven. Yeah, 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 that's amazing. Yeah. So our last dating advice that someone heard that they found to be very unhelpful was from a friend of mine who is on the autism spectrum and he said find someone who is also autistic and don't consider a mixed relationship well this is the same kind of thing as people who feel like they have to date within strictly within their race they have to date strictly a certain i mean i literally had somebody very very beautiful woman and by the way every one of my clients are beautiful I don't know what that's about but it's it's astounding the most intelligent beautiful people in the world truly and there was one uh, woman that I worked with and she literally had a salary requirement for guys and again she hadn't had sex in years uh, guys that she would only consider they were only two hundred and fifty thousand dollars and up a year and, and, you know, hopefully a PhD, but a master's was okay. And there was such a laundry list of requirements. And I said, well, how about $249,000 a year? Is that okay? She's like, yeah. How about two fifteen? Like I just kept, it was because I was trying to make her understand that the things that she were, was focusing on were actually the things that were stopping her from getting dates because the agenda-driven dating is really just scary. You could totally miss out on the most incredible relationship because you just didn't know that existed for you. Right, or because in your mind you have this idea that says, you know, I'm on the spectrum, you know, or I have mental illness, or I have, you know, uh, Pironis. This is the first thing that comes into my mind, which is the curvature that ha can happen um, with a penis that can be helped with exercises and medications. But so I can only have this because of this, uh, you know, disability I have or the secret I'm carrying around. And in fact, just as we were talking about neuroplasticity a minute ago, if you change your ideas about that, 
you'll see evidence of it everywhere. You'll see evidence of guys who you think, well, that that guy's really not conventionally attractive. And he's with, you know, a woman who is super conventionally attractive because he has because of the outlook that he has on that, because that's just, you know, that's his reality that he's living into. So I do believe that people who are on the spectrum and, um, you know, people who are uh, Aspie uh, have a harder time. You know, it's been it's been proven. It's 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 harder to connect because partly because it's harder to read um, the, the nonverbal cues, facial expressions. You know, there are a lot of different challenges depending on how early that person has had therapy. But people who've had early therapeutic intervention, it's like it's not like a, you know, some kind of awful insurmountable thing. Yeah. And not everybody is going to be so concerned about the inability to read your cues if they know that, you know, if you're open about it and and you say, you know, this is this is how I, I work. You know, because we all have things about us that are so individual. Right. It's just so nice to know and to not anticipate that, oh, this person won't like me because I'm not this enough. Well, there's something to uh, the one thing that is, uh, again, the kernel of truth is that the commonality that you can find in somebody who has had similar life experiences to you can't be underestimated. So, for example, if you see people who are Jewish dating other Jewish people, and, you know, there's the super negative side of that, which is, you know, if a, a, you know, Jewish men are taught that you can practice on the shikses, but you should only marry the Jewish girl or whatever this, you know, horse horse shit people are peddling. Um, But there is, you know, the kernel of truth is, just like if you went to the same high school with somebody and you reconnect when you're 35 and you're like, hey, you know, remember Mr. Jones? It's like mm-hmm. you have a you have somewhere that you already sure. connect. You have a mutual understanding. Um, but that doesn't mean that like if I'm, you know, if I have major depressive disorder that I can only date people who have major depressive disorder. Right. It's like you want to find people with uh, complementary yes. characteristics. And you could have different common ground. The same or, you know, just finding something that you meet on. So I could see there being an appeal to if you are, if you have Asperger's and so does your partner, there might be a beautiful understanding there. Yes. But it doesn't mean that that same person who has Asperger's couldn't date somebody who maybe has a physical disability and they understand what it's like to feel different. Right. To be treated differently. Or frizzy hair. (laughs) Or really straight hair that doesn't curl for example. Oh, darling, my heart bleeds for you. Can <laughs> I can I just add one thing because we were we did start off talking about incels yeah, and please. and I feel like this is an overarching theme with our entire conversation today, which is uh, there's this distinction of harmonious passion versus obsessive passion. And this is a distinction that's been made in creativity by a professor, a psychology professor who's a friend of mine, Barry Barry Scott. No, Scott Barry Kaufman, I believe is his name, and he wrote this uh, fantastic, he writes all kinds of articles and books on creativity. So, of course, I have to think of it in terms of sex because that's how I equate, you know, I equate everything to how, okay, great, but how can we uh, apply this to sex? Is that if you don't have your sexuality integrated harmoniously within yourself, then it's not surprising that it would become obsessive. So, 
if you're a 17 year old Hispanic girl who's been told her whole life that you know that she's a pure lady and that she'll get her heart broken and she'll get a disease and God will put her in hell and whatever else it's like well she might sleep with somebody once and get obsessed with them because it's not integrated so once you the whole thing becomes a little more relaxed and harmonious then you could just be a person who really likes having sex a lot and be kind of really chill about that. Mm. And we can all get there too, which is beautiful. We can get there. What are some of the steps to move toward that? If you're somebody who tends to become obsessive because of the conditioning. I think that, again, it's very, very individual. So you start to unhook all of the places where the person has decided that this is the only way that it can go. And... You know, the research, again, about this, this harmonious versus obsessive passion is that you, if you have harmonious uh, integration, you will achieve your goals. It's not going to hold you back from your goals. Whereas if you're obsessive about something, you're actually less likely to meet your goals because you're too attached. Mm. So I think, uh, you know, part of it is probably even on a general level, seeing where the places where it's become a little bit obsessive, where it's become a little bit like uh, it has to be this way or not at all. Any place where I see black and white thinking, where I see any binary kind of thinking, that's usually a place to start because those are the places that keep you from being in all of this lovely section in the middle where maybe you just really like fucking a lot. That's okay. Yeah. You know, we also have toys for that. We have a lot mm-hmm. of ways that we can come to terms with our own erotic being that doesn't have to involve another human being at all. Sure. And some people just haven't even learned that. Right. Yeah. Well, again, if you've been told that your, you know, your bits don't don't look right. Yeah. Then you might have to start there. Right. Start where you are and know that there's no shame in being where you are either. Yeah. And taking steps forward and knowing there are so many rewards. And I feel like they they come along quicker than we realize a lot of times if we if we try and just trust it and and not shame ourselves too much. Yes. And especially if you work with somebody who I I mean, I love their I've had, you know, tons and tons of therapy and of course there are brilliant therapists out there, but The one thing about sitting for six months or a year or two years or five years and having the same fucking complaint over and over again, it's like that's not going to help you. So sometimes it is the tough love. Sometimes for me, it's the difficulty of having to be blunt with someone and just being like, my friend, you are not in reality here. And sometimes the thing, often the thing they're not in reality about is actually the greatness that they have that they're not allowing and that they have so many more options than they're allowing themselves or that they're seeing. So I'm not going to let them, you know, stay in that in that mindset. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of tough love is such a gift. I'd much prefer that if somebody is aware of something in me that is so rigid and holding me back to hear that it really is so loving. I think it's actually harder sometimes for the person to say it to you. Yes. Because we're so afraid of hurting a person's feelings Most or definitely. shattering them. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's not easy. Yeah, but it is a gift. If It's a gift if done in the right way. But sometimes, I mean, I'm just saying uh, as, a, you know, in the work I do, it's very challenging 
Because, for example, if I'm working with a couple and I consistently see that one person is doing one of the traits that John Gottman calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse of divorce, which is stonewalling, and I see that in three sessions, I see one of the partners stonewalling, I'm going to say something and it's going to be confronting and confrontational because that other partner is emailing me going, I don't understand why my partner's not talking to me and putting up a wall. And it's just like, honey, you might be able to do that with your partner, but you ain't going to do that here. So, you know, it's a massive responsibility when people let you into their lives and into their relationships like that. And, you know, I certainly don't take it lightly. Uh, but I, I don't remember what, how we started on that uh, track. What the question was? We were talking about the autism question. We and went we, all the way there from did. autism. We just went on a journey. But you yeah. brought it back to the initial conversation about incels too, and I feel like these are really universal. And there's so much people can learn from you. I know you have a workshop coming up. I do. I'm going to teach at the Pleasure Chest um, again in October, which is quite far in advance. But if you find me on Instagram, I have a very fun and dirty Instagram that I push right to the limit, right to the edge. Hashtag implied. um, And that's at Sexual Intuitive. And uh, of course, go to my site and see what I do and send me an email and uh, all that stuff. Oh, and the Sexual Intuitive podcast on iTunes, which... If I can fix the sound of the one we did, will be uh, your 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 episode will be up there as well. Beautiful, and your book is available on Amazon. How to get laid using your intuition on Amazon, and uh, do let me know. I will respond, just not if you uh, message me hi. No hi, no hey, no unsolicited dick pic. Please, I beg you, or any genitalia for that matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Consent, people. Think a little bit before we tweet. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. Such a pleasure. What a fun conversation to just have on a a random Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you, everyone, who sent their questions in. You can respond to Girl Boner Polls on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash mygirlboner. You can also find more on my blog, augustmclaughlin.com. And I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes, your little app, that purple app on your smartphone. It's Apple Podcasts. Spotify or iHeartRadio. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful girl boner embracing week. And trust yourselves. Trust yourselves.